You are now listening to the Impro Amsterdam podcast. It's Tuesday the 24th of January and welcome to the second episode of the podcast series of the 22nd Impro Amsterdam Festival. And today we have a very special guest. She's well, kind of a star in improv theater. She has been playing professionally in theater since 83. And she's here all the way from Australia. Welcome, Patty Styles. Thank you very much. I, I don't think I'm a star, but thank you. That was kind. Well, since you have your jubilee next year, we were already <laughs> talking that you should you deserve a special kind of coin, maybe. Yeah, that coin we, uh, or, or yeah. you know be put on a dollar bill or no, would be very good yeah. but for now we are very lucky to have you here and talk with patty styles on styles in improv theater Thanks. but before we go there we first have a very special question of yesterday's uh, guest from the podcast it was charlotte gittins yes. and she wanted to know patty what scares the hell out of you in life or in improv in general Wow, what scares the hell out of me? Um, in life, a horrible death. Um, you know, painful or um, lonely or being abandoned. You know, I think natural human fears. Um, the opening part of the movie Jaws scared the hell out of me. Uh, and now that I live in Australia, it's very hard to go in the ocean. But you still go swimming every now and then? Uh, I do, but like I don't go out swimming and I go to beaches where there's shark nets and lifeguards. <laughs> Just, ooh. It was her, her screaming, her plea. I think at one point she says, oh, God, help me. That. Because that. that triggers my fear of painful, alone, you know, horrific. And this is in real life, but yeah. would you like to play such a scene? Oh, yeah. Like dying? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, because theater is, um, it's, it's a window for the audience to explore and witness um, the absolute joys of life, the things that they desperately want and want to believe in and would love to have happen to them and the things they would never want to have happen to them. Um, if you look at all great theater, it's playing on that. You know, Hamlet, your uncle kills your father and marries your mother. So it's a way <laughs> to explore your, your biggest dreams and your biggest fears in the same time. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's shining a light on dis different aspects of humanity. Um, so on stage, I'd love to play that. So, and when you talk about this this way to explore these these big human feelings. Um, we might also talk about your format um, Scenes That Matter, mm. because, um, well, you, you, you develop different formats, yeah. and Scenes That Matter, uh, it's also a workshop format you give here at the Impro Amsterdam Festival? Yeah, it's, it's a workshop more so than a format, but the, um, the work that we do in Scenes That Matter uh, will sometimes end up on stage in formats that I do or other formats that I play in um, because it's very much a part of how I was trained to look at creating theater. And impro is such a wonderful form. 
it is so flexible and it's so diverse and it can be stretched and molded in so many different ways. Um, the majority of people have probably only seen uh, a comedic style in pro show with a lot of games, which is fantastic. You know, they're fun. I love playing them. But there's quite a range of what you can do with impro. And uh, depending on what inspires you as a performing artist, how you were introduced to improvisation, uh, maybe the philosophies that you follow and what you want to create will start to drive you in different ways. And I was trained uh, by Keith Johnstone, and he's a playwright and a theater director. And I always wanted to work in theater. So this was the vehicle that allowed for what I felt was more dynamic, individual, intense, and exciting theater. So, and this is also what you teach in your workshops then? Yeah, uh. Scenes That Matter is, um, because I, I feel that in a lot of improvisation work, um, students are not being given permission to look at how to explore uh, the broader themes of humanity, uh, the difficult stories in our world, uh, from you know, um, to shine a light on a point of view, be it political, religious, um, just the human factor, how we relate, family, um, you know, racism, equality, discrimination. There's so much that we can build stories on. Um, and we have to be good storytellers and aware of what we're creating. To be able to have the audience laugh, yes, but to also have them cry, and, and to what, feel tension. What kind of exercise would you give in Scenes That Matter, for example, to explore this topic? First, um, it's a matter of bringing the group together so they feel comfortable. Uh, because at a festival, you'll have a room full of strangers or some people that will know each other and some that won't. Uh, and in order to do this kind of work, everyone that's doing the work has to feel safe with each other and have a shared approach and philosophy of what we're doing. Um, and that's important in any kind of artistic form. Um, you just need to go, all oh, right, we know what we're aiming for. And then I go through a bunch of exercises where I'm using real-life scene material, so articles from newspapers, um, situations, stories out of autobiographies or um, through history. And I will construct a scene with that material to try to show the players different ways you can approach it so that you don't have to reenact the difficult subject. Um, so to really feel it? Or to, to feel it from almost, Keith used to say, you want to look in from a different window. Um, so for example, if we were doing, um, I don't know, um, spousal abuse, you could do a scene, and there's many plays that do this, where you actually see the moment of the abuse. Uh, so someone's enraged and they're hitting the other person and they're using their skills of stage fighting and it's all been choreographed. Um, and that is one way of storytelling. For me, it would be looking at it from different vantage points. 
um, the consequences of or the reasons for um, so that we don't feel like we're um, running the risk of making fun of something that shouldn't be made fun of, that we're not soapboxing or preaching because that's not theater. Theater allows people to reflect and question and feel. So to be able to trigger different audience emotions and thought. Um, I've only had one coffee this morning, so my, my brain isn't totally working, but on the example I gave, for example, I might have um, that person at the pearly gates about to go through heaven, and they're, you know, they're going through the rights and wrongs of life. Yeah, so dif different styles of approach, different angles of approach. Yes. So we can and deal with the subject material where the audience feels safe and comfortable, the improvisers feel safe and comfortable, and we're looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah. So the message is clear, but it's a different point of view getting into it. Do you think it's important in your different formats to um, make it, how do you say, to make a change in the world, to um, to cause some, some uh, change in, in viewpoint for the audience? Or? I do, um, and that's not the difference between theater storytelling and comedy, because comedy makes a very clear point of view as well. Um, and if you kind of look at times through history where society was demanding change and asking for change and society was bubbling with unrest, if you look just before that, you often see it coming out in the lyrics of songs, painting, literature, um, artists. We are, in a way, the voice of the people because we are people. Um, and now more than ever, uh, with human rights abuses and you know so much going on in the world that from my particular point of view, um, feels like we've lost the plot. I do think it's important to have a voice. However, I don't think it's my job on stage to tell people what to think. I think it's my job on stage to give people the opportunity to think. Oh, that's very nicely said. Thank you. And <laughs> I, I really think you, you are giving people that opportunity. And well, tonight we will also have one of your formats on stage at mm. the Impro Amsterdam Festival. Yeah. It's called Mortal Coil. Could you explain it a little bit? Sure. Um, when I'm looking at a format um, or a workshop, actually, usually what I do is I kind of sit with myself and go, hmm, what's bothering me about the Impro world? Or what do I see it's lacking? Or what patterns do I see that's happening? And how can I be useful to stimulate a different point of view or thought or exercise? And Mortal Coil, for me, I uh, was watching a lot of improvisers doing uh, a long form, which is um, an extended story. And within the first 10 minutes, I knew what the whole story was going to be. And then the improvisers were taking very tiny, safe, linear steps to get to the ending, which it made sense. It was a good story, but it wasn't all that dynamic. And because the plot already was there, yeah. basically. Yeah. And the audience, the audience is natural storytellers as well. So they're looking at it from the point of view of, 
almost trying to guess where we're going to go. It's, it's a little bit human nature to do that. So even if you look at Romeo and Juliet, you know, they meet at the mass ball and it's a flirt. Then they have the balcony scene, which is confession of love. Then they're soon on trying to run away together. So it's not three scenes of them flirting. No, there's, there, there's a development in the exactly. story. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, the playwright's trying to stay ahead of the audience. So Mortal Coil is a directed format. The reason for that is I'm trying to give the players permission to just play the scene that they're in and not worry about the plot. So you just play that moment. And as I said to them yesterday in rehearsal, you play the moment, I'll direct traffic. And then? And then we see what happens. And for me, it's let's see what happens when characters meet that we didn't think would meet or because when you leave your house in the morning you don't know who you're going to encounter and the person you bought a coffee from could be the cousin of your best friend that's the nice thing about waking up in the morning and not knowing how your day will be absolutely and so for me mortal coil technically is to try to get the improvisers to be playful and present for me to not put them in step two, but let's see if we can go to step three so that they have more fun revealing the story. The audience is um, surprised with the story development instead of getting the next piece that they already imagined, they're getting the piece after that. Um, yeah, and you know, it's, it's an improvised show. So um, there's been sh some shows that have gone really well some shows that have been a bit up and down. Um, but that's the nature of improvisation. We have to take risk. We have to explore. Um, it's the nature of the work. Well, and that's also, we, we don't know how this evening will develop. I so have no idea. That's, uh, and I was also wondering, uh, talking about different styles, I read a very interesting blog post of yours that women um, often, they, they complain that they always play the girlfriend or the mother or whatever mm -hmm. and then you write something like well there's nothing wrong with it because in this uh, you know when you play a mother there's not one way of doing it um, yeah. how, how do you wh what are your views on that exactly um, it's really interest really interesting discussion um, sort of women in improvisation and it's been going for a long time uh, and now that there's more improvisation groups, the conversation is getting louder. And often I think when, and this is my interpretation, when female improvisers are saying, ah, oh, I always play the wife and the girlfriend and the, you know, the good girl or the slut, I think what they're communicating is that they feel limited in their improvisation. And then they identify it by always playing these roles. Now, there is a limitation if you're always playing mother the same way. But there's so many mothers. So the role shouldn't be a limitation because you've got a lot of creative opportunity. You could be the mother from Sons of Anarchy. You could be Hamlet's mother. You could be, you know, Carol Burnett's. Um, sorry, that's a Canadian reference or an American reference. Um, there's so many mothers from the brave and the wonderful to the vulnerable to the non-present to, you know. So you can gift yourself because mother is a relationship identifier. It is not a person. So 
in in the role of mother you have all the freedom absolutely. you want actually yeah absolutely madonna's a mother <laughs> you know um so it, it and in some ways i think wow we're actually if women are saying that those characters are boring yeah then we make a we limitation saying? of of ourselves in a way yeah and if we're saying mothers are all the same what are we saying um mothers are amazing yeah. wives girlfriends are amazing and our sexual identity you know if we're still viewing virgin and slut or good girl bad girl we're still reinforcing that stereotype if you're endowed with it you can still use that and play that and flip that and switch that however if women in communicating that they're feeling limited is because in the group they're also limited that they don't get to start scenes they don't have an equal voice to everybody else uh, and that they're made fun of for being a woman which has appeared in in some groups and some shows where um, other players feel that grabbing someone's breasts is a, gets a laugh so therefore it's okay that's a whole other discussion yeah that, well that's a podcast in itself almost too. absolutely yeah, that's um, but i would i would if any female improvisers are listening to this and you do feel stuck playing mothers wives sisters just read some plays watch some movies look at the world see how many different characters there are that happen to have that relationship identifier and give the gift to the world of breaking the fact that mothers are all the same and that's also about well changing the mind of the audience like like absolutely. showing them different viewpoints absolutely um i also think sometimes we feel that those roles were identified in those roles and we have almost like a 1950s trigger that you know wives or mothers and wives stayed at home mm. girlfriends in a way sounds possessive sisters needed to be looked after so there may also be a little bit of i don't want to be a lesser person but if we're still feeling that at some level then we're reinforcing that yeah, yeah. um because again you know there there are women win winning gold medals that are mothers wives sisters girlfriends like so yeah it's time to change this yeah. fixed mindset this this stereotypical absolutely view on the because it's a relationship it's yeah. not the person it's, uh, and we have to bring back the individual in these roles that's uh, well i hope to see some mothers tonight on the stage or some girlfriends some very surprising girlfriends on the stage in yeah. amsterdam who knows so well there's tonight we have your format um, mortal coil that's correct and then later on this week i think we still have how the west was improvised another yes. of your famous styles formats <laughs> can you explain a little bit about that format sure uh it's on saturday night and it's a a long form improvised western um so again i kind of sat down and was thinking what's bothering me about improvisation and um there's a lot of forms where the show is very fast a lot of talking, no silence, no stillness. And those forms in themselves can be wonderful, right? Um because I say there's a lot of, I'm not being critical. I'm just noting there's a lot of one thing. 
Like if you sat down for dinner and you had a lot of potatoes and that's it, you go, that's a lot of potatoes. They're delicious. Yeah, but I after love potatoes. like uh, one kilogram of potatoes, you wouldn't yeah. mind, I don't know, some carrots, <laughs> you know. Um, so then when I started thinking also narratively, um, and this is kind of a technical thing, um, it, it feels like sometimes people lower the stakes in a scene or they're trying to heighten the stakes and they're not quite sure what it is. Um, and that's me thinking of it very much from a, a theatrical point of view from my training. So it's a particular style and approach. And Westerns are all about silence, stillness, tension, high stakes. It's a world of survival. Clint Eastwood standing there yeah. looking at his uh, opponent. Yeah. yeah, but that's the moment that someone could die. Someone comes to town that nobody knows. Why are they there? That's a potential threat. Yeah. You know, um, homes out in the prairies. Nobody around for days. If something happened, you've got no one there to help you. So the stakes were incredibly high uh, on, on survival. Uh, also, it has an incredibly strong moral code. Um, and even the outlaws have a very strong moral code. You know, often uh, a very strong either self-moral code or moral code to the, their, their group, their band. Yeah, so, so they judge each other as well. Yeah, yeah and it's loyalty. Yeah. You know, we're going to rob this bank and we're all doing it together. And if anybody doesn't follow through on the family or the unit, the pack, um, you break that moral code. So there's that high stakes as well. And then those decisions that people make, you know, um, you know, classic Western, you know, the bad guy in, in a band of thieves falls in love with, you know, the preacher's daughter. And now his moral code is conflicted. Mm. And does he choose the loyalty and the family and, the, and that, or does he change who he is? And what does that mean? And if he does change, will he be accepted? And what about his past when it catches up with him? You know, so the, the questions and the decisions have a great deal of importance. Um, so in the format, we play with how can we have that there so the improvisers feel it? How do we build it in? And um, I have some impro exercises that I've done with the cast um, that's in the work. I, will this podcast be, can people hear it this week? Yeah. Well, okay, they, then they I'm not going to say. Okay, no, yeah, don't, don't tell too much. Uh, yeah. we don't. Uh, just because we've decided, sometimes I tell the audience the exercise, and then sometimes I don't. So if you're hearing it and you're going, what? But I want to know this. Then on Sunday, ask one of the cast in the show, you know, what was the hidden thing yes. in the Western? Um, and they'll tell you. 
So people can see this still on Saturday evening. Saturday, that's correct. There are still tickets available, so yeah. I will make sure I will have one. Thank you. I think it is time for the last question. And actually, okay. this is not a question for you, but a question oh. from you to tomorrow's guest. Mm. She is Victoria Bang. You know her? Yes, I do. And uh, well, it, it can be any question, basically. What do you want to know? What do you want to ask Victoria? Um... Hmm. What do I want to? Oh, the, so many questions. Oh, because I'm a, a curious, naturally curious person. Um, how would you like people to define you as an improviser? Wow, that's a very beautiful question. Could you answer <laughs> it yourself? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, generous, playful present, giving, listening, supportive, inspiring. Well, I think that's a beautiful summary of you, Patty Styles. Thank you very much for <laughs> this you. second episode of the Impro Amsterdam podcast series. And well, I'm looking forward to tonight and to Saturday night to see two of your formats and have many, ma well, I hope you have many good experiences this week. So thanks again. Thank you so much.